Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. Hello, and presumably welcome back from your weekends. Uh, We are going to be devoting our show today to the appearance, the planned appearance of Robert Mueller, special counsel, before two different congressional committees on Wednesday. Uh, He will appear first, I believe, before the Judiciary, the House Judiciary Committee, uh, followed by the House Intelligence Committee. The process will consume most of the day. Um, And it's one of the reasons that we're doing our pregame show today. The whole thing starts at 8.30 on Wednesday. So I can't do the wheelhouse. I can't do my show. You know, that's... That's a small price to pay for democracy, I say. So we're going to talk a little bit about what could be expected out of this and maybe what can't be expected out of it. Uh, To do that, we have in studio Bill Curry, Democratic political analyst, former White House counselor to uh, President Bill Clinton, former Democratic nominee for governor of Connecticut and a columnist for Salon. Joining us uh, by phone is uh, a podcast host who goes by AG, a veteran, Ph.D., federal government executive, comedian, and executive producer and co-host of the podcast Muller, she wrote, which I've been discovering uh, over the next uh, over the last few days and been having a, a lot of fun listening to. They're also premiering the Daily Beans podcast today. Uh, so for more about that, check out their website, uh, Muller, she wrote. So before I get into it with my guests, let me just sort of give you uh, the the parameters. Um, so I, I said, as I said before, yeah, it'll start at eight thirty. House Judiciary Committee break resume with House Intelligence Committee. Uh, most networks are carrying it or carrying some version of it here at Public Radio. We will be carrying all of it all day long. And um, maybe the, before our guests speak, the best thing to do would be to let uh, Robert Mueller speak. So Robert Mueller, um, this is sort of, you know, his version. Let's play A2, Wolfie. This is kind of his version of Seacrest out. Now, before I step away, I want to thank the attorneys, the FBI agents, the analysts, the professional staff who helped us conduct this investigation in a fair and independent manner. These individuals who spent nearly two years with the special counsel's office were of the highest integrity. And I will close by reiterating the central allegation of our indictments that there were multiple systematic efforts to interfere in our election. And that allegation deserves the attention of every American. Mueller out. Um, So um, I I guess maybe my first question for both of you, I'll start with you, Bill Curry, is, you know, it's pretty clear from that, from everything that Mueller has indicated since then and and amplified by his general distaste uh, for testifying to Congress anyway, that he wants to be done. Right. There's no real indication, even though he may be unhappy with the way Attorney General Barr attempted to frame his findings. He may be unhappy with any number of things. There's no really real indication that he's going to respond with any sense of eagerness or cooperation tomorrow, or is there? Uh, I would say the the only tiny little feather of hope uh, in the last few weeks uh, has been the report that the idea of of delaying the hearings a week um, and his testifying at greater length was his idea. Um, I doubt that it means anything, but I hold out the hope that it means that he himself uh, wishes to take this process somewhat more seriously. 
every time we – in the two modern impeachments, we have three impeachments in the history of this country. In the Nixon and, and, and Clinton impeachments, the special uh, prosecutors, uh, 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 Leon Jaworski shared everything he had, named every crime, and put out what has always been called, been called since a roadmap. Ken Starr overshared, practically goaded the Congress into action. Uh, uh, what Mueller has done in this sort of sphinx-like attitude that Mueller has done and refusing to name uh, uh, each uh, activity really for what it is, inventing a doctrine that says that he, he can't list the crimes that have been committed uh, all on his own, he's been the opposite. And one of the problems of this process is that is that so that you're going into this without what, what the two previous processes had, a, uh, a special prosecutor who's willing to finish his own part of the job and give some guidance to the Congress. I see that as a great flaw. So, uh, A.G., uh, you loved this man enough to include him in the title of your podcast, uh, or perhaps you hoped so much for this man that you did that. Um, I suppose it's possible that on Wednesday, you know, after the first couple of questions, he goes, you know, I should have been a lot more clear about this. Like, he totally obstructed justice, all right? I don't know why that didn't come through. I'm really sorry about that. But it's unlikely, right? Everything we've seen about this guy is that he's an institutionalist. He believes in doing things a certain way. He believes he's done things that way. But correct me if you disagree? No, I agree. I, I don't think he's going to say anything outside of, uh, you know, the four corners of his report. I mean, I suppose what they could ask is, you know, there are special counsel regulations that indicate that if the attorney general either disagrees or somehow, uh, you know, finds differently than the special counsel, he is triggered and required to tell Congress about those disagreements or differences. And he did that with um, his exoneration uh, of the president when he came out with his four-page summary. And he did that on obstruction, too, when he made the call on obstruction when Mueller didn't. And that, to me, indicates a disagreement or, um, you know, falls under that rule that would trigger the attorney general to have to tell, to have to say that to Congress or have to report that to Congress. But, again, those questions might, you you probably would just hear Mueller say, I didn't look into that or that's not. You know, that wasn't within the purview of my report, and so I'm not going to speak to that. I think you'll hear a lot of that. A.G., let me just stay with you for a second on that. That being the case, let's say you're right. What's the reason for the average American to watch or pay attention to what transpires on Wednesday? Uh, Well, so far, the only voices we've had on what's in the Mueller report, I mean, outside of Mueller's nine-minute press conference, is the president and the attorney general. So to have a voice of equal, I guess, strength or, uh, you know, loudness in in the country of, you know, Robert Mueller, just to come out and say what's in his report, um, which obviously contradicts what uh, the attorney general and what the president have said, is very, very important. Just to put it on TV, I'm sure it's going to be blasted across all the news channels. And just just that exposure, I think, is what is going to be the most important part of this testimony, even more so maybe than the content. So let's talk about what kind of questions one could ask. By the way, if you have questions, if you're listening here live, we're live from 1 to 2. If you're hearing this at any other time, uh, don't bother. But our number is 860-275-7266, 860-275-7266. So, Bill Curry, let's imagine that uh, Eric Swalwell calls you up and goes, you know what, i just been binging uh, you know, Fleabag, uh, and I just haven't really thought of any questions, or I've got nothing. Well, first, first, I would say I'm not surprised. 
right, okay. Uh, well, it's a great show. He loves it. So, sure. um, you know, give me something to work with. Give me something to ask. I know that's not how, how this is really going to work. This is all done with a lot of coordination and a lot of work with staff. But just in, in my hypothetical universe, what would you tell the hypothetical let, Eric Swalwell to ask? Let, let me say one sentence first and yeah. a follow-up uh, to AG, and that is that it, some of the most interesting and provocative questions may come from the Republicans. And it's it's if anything, more likely that if they continue their line of disparaging the work of the professionals and of the staff and of, and of politicizing it, they may goad Mueller into saying more than any of the questions we could prepare for the Democrats uh, might might elicit from him. Uh, the, you know, I, I I just have a string of questions in no particular order. One, I'd like to I'd like to know if he ever obtained Trump's tax returns, uh, and uh, if so, did he ever conduct a forensic audit uh, uh, in the time that he had them? Um, I'd like to know uh, uh, who he discussed this extraordinary uh, theory he came up with. Uh, you know, we have this. We start with this theory that uh, that no president can be prosecuted while in office. Uh, added on to that is that he is the idea that he can't even have a sealed indictment for prosecution later. None of this comes from statutory law, from a Supreme Court ruling. This is all from a departmental memo written by people who depended on the favor of the president they served, and. Mueller, all on his own, adds a third codicil to this, which is why this the, the, one of the, the principal reason why this was so confusing. He decided that if he wasn't prosecuting him, he couldn't say whether he'd committed multiple felonies or not. And I would want to find out who he talked to about that. Uh, if he'd had any, if he'd given this any second thought, I would want to draw him out, if only for the public to understand that this was a guy who had made a decision that he couldn't name the crimes before he submitted the report. I'd want to know when and how that happened. I'd it, also want the staff well, to, to no, say. Isn't part but of it's his, an amazing thing yeah. for him to have done on his own, to yeah. have just sat there and invented a new doctrine, whole cloth, that prevented him from doing the job. Even Bill Barr thought he was going to get a recommendation one way or the other. Trump's strongest defenders assumed he had this right, and then they found out at the very last second that he didn't feel I, he had it. I thought, but I thought that part of Mueller's reason—I could have this wrong—the um, part of Mueller's reason for not doing at least one of the things that you talked about is that um, he was, since he wasn't was not in a position to charge, that to make the accusation without any process of then adjudicating that uh, that accusation seemed to him unfair. In other words, if I say Bill Curry. Th- Killed three drifters in Abilene, Texas, uh, in, in 1988. But I'm not going to be pursuing this matter. You know, then you don't really have an opportunity to clear your you name. Wouldn't hesitate, but the um, no, I but, wouldn't. Yeah, but I'm, yeah. this is but Mueller. They, this is but Mueller. let me just say, yeah. first of all, that's not what Jaworski did. That's not what Starr did. That's not how the system has worked up until Mueller. Mm-hmm. This is this is a whole new riff. The idea that you can't identify this in language clear enough for people to understand. You know, when you when you ran that clip at the beginning, yeah, he was saying, I'd like to get out of here. But he was also saying, by the way, everybody, this is a huge problem and you all better do something about it. He thinks his job is done. But, you know, as, as I wrote in Salon, this is a man who's had an extraordinary, diligent and patriotic life of service. But he botched his last assignment. Part of his job is to put that roadmap. And what that means is to identify this uh, in, in clearer language. I know he's thinking about precepts that apply normally to uh, to how a justice department treats a defendant and uh and the, the the and what previous prosecutors and most people people it never occurred to anyone that this idea even existed because the stakes here are so different because every single american is a stakeholder here 
because the democracy is at stake, because the president has so many ways of defending himself, of even shutting down the system. For that matter, the president can tell AG that no one can prosecute him under any circumstances. Uh, and, and, and what are you left with then? Silence? So, so he just took this way too far. Yeah. And, and I wish he was always being uh, complimented for never leaking. I only wish this had leaked so mm. that he could have heard a little public feedback mm. uh, as to uh, what it was he had in mind. So, A.G., another option, and I think it's an option that uh, I sense it's an option that you like. It's an option that James Comey has also suggested is that you just ask Mueller questions that elicit damning statements from the report. In other words, did you find that President Trump ordered his counsel to fire Robert Mueller? You know, that that if if you just walk him through everything that really is in the report, you wind up telling Americans something they don't know. Yes, uh, that's that's pretty much it. And and on, honestly to be, you know, mo- what less fewer than 3% of Americans have read the report, so most of what Mueller is going to say, I think are things that the American public doesn't know. But uh you know, I agree with the last discussion too that, you know, if you, if, if Swalwell called me up and he sits both on the Intel and Judiciary Committees, he's one of only three people, I think. Uh but I would say in, you know, in the Intel Committee um questioning, definitely get into what it was like, what you know, how he discussed or how he, how Mueller determined that he was not only not allowed to say that the president committed a crime, but that he couldn't even, you know, uh, go close to saying anything like that. I think that's a very important thing. I also would like for them to discuss. I, w- I want for him to discuss the conclusion of his investigation and how that happened, because there were just so many different things around that time that made it seem very rushed, even in some of the court filings um, from some of the cases that were being handled under the Mueller investigation, a lot of the prosecution that, you know, on Mueller's team were surprised and didn't get their filings in on time uh, because of the, you know, when the the conclusion of the investigation Mm -hmm. happened. And I'd also like to know about the health of the 14 other investigations that he referred, because they're all seemingly uh, being overseen by William Barr right now. But Yes, I, I think the best way to go about this, instead of asking hypothetical questions such as, uh, you know, if this weren't the president, would you have charged him? I don't think Mueller's going to answer that. But if you get him to spell out, pick one of the obstructive acts, start with one of the acts, um, asking McGahn to fire the special counsel, for example, and then go through the three criteria that Mueller spells out for each thing in order for under criminal federal law for it to be a chargeable offense and ask if those things were present, and then say, according, ask him according to the rules of federal criminal procedure, would this be a case that you could bring, you know, that you could charge for obstruction of justice? And uh, I think that's probably the, the best backdoor way to get him to say, yes, these, this act meets the criteria of federal criminal um, law to charge and obtain and sustain an indictment. You know, uh, let me just ask you one more thing, A.G., uh, in connection with that. How many things is Mueller likely to reject? How many questions is he likely to reject based on the open and ongoing investigation idea? In other words, there there are things that are not in the report, some of them having to do with counterintelligence, with whether or not, you know, the Russians kind of got to Donald Trump and were able to use him to their own ends, things like that. Um, how many of those things is he just not going to talk about because there is an investigation open somewhere else? 
Oh yeah, in, and I, you know, I don't know a hundred percent, but I'm I'm pretty certain that if it if it touches at all any open and ongoing investigation or any grand jury material for that matter that falls under Rule 60, I don't think he's going to answer any of those questions. Like if they bring up something about Roger Stone and WikiLeaks or Assange, uh, or you know, any from anything from that case. I don't think he's going to go near it at all. He'll just say, "I'm, I'm, I'm unable to comment on an open and ongoing investigation." And we've we've seen other people respond in similar fashion. All right. I think what I'm going to do here is uh, grab a break. Uh, if you guys want to call in, 860-275-7266. You may have questions for our excellent panelists. 860-275-7266. We'll be back after this. Not what we guessed, and as for the rest, we may never know. How much, if anything, will America get to see? I've got those. Yay, it's finally over. Wait, it's only just beginning. Blues. Those damn you, Robert Mueller. I mean, thank you for your service. Feelings. Those give me that report. Now throw this trash in the bin. Congratulations, Hannity. But wait, what'd you win? Those what about obstruction? Here comes Rudy Giuliani's feelings. Those is it really over? Can we still indict Ivanka Blues? Robert Mueller. We're back. We're back with our uh, Mueller testimony pregame show. Bill Curry, Democratic political analyst, former White House counselor to Bill Clinton, former Democratic nominee for governor of Connecticut and columnist for Salon. Joining us by phone, he's in the studio, joining us by phone, AG, a veteran, PhD, federal government executive comedian and executive producer and co-host of the podcast Mueller, she wrote. Add it to your playlist. Also, they're premiering The Daily Beans a podcast today as well. So, um, you know, as we look forward two days to this process, Bill, it does seem like, in addition to everything else, this seems like just the worst possible format to get to the bottom of anything. This is going to be five minutes Democrat, five minutes Republican, five minutes Democrat, five minutes Republican. I, it just doesn't seem like even to get to the kind of clarity AG was talking about, about some of the things you could at least spell out that are findings of the report. You know, I mean, if Mueller goes long on your first question, you might not ask your second question. I remember watching the Kavanaugh hearings um, and despairing, uh, wondering if the Democrats and the committee had even had a meeting um, to divide up the work and discuss how to respond uh, to uh, some of the inevitable attacks from the other side. Uh, These hearings have become just performance art. What what every member insists most on is their right to have five minutes in which to do what the presidential candidates are doing in the primary, just trying to get that one viral (laughs) moment of play acting. And um, I'm hoping that they're going to see something better here. Uh, I'm I'm not optimistic. You know, many years ago, uh, when 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 the Senate uh, 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 was uh, conducting racket hearings in the late 1950s. Uh, John Kennedy was a member of the committee and his brother Robert was the committee counsel. Robert became famous, uh, wrote a book, The Enemy Within, because the counsel did all the work. You saw that in Watergate. You saw that in hearing after uh, all the major hearings you can look back to. Think of The Godfather, you know, and the, uh, the, the, how, you know, just any, any hearing you've ever seen on TV or in a movie. Now it's done, it's done in a way that just breaks down almost any possibility of continuity of of close examination, of following a continuous thread to its logical conclusion. Um, I'm hoping they're going to be able to do better than that. I'm hoping that this they treat this as they once did. I, I wish that there were just 
uh, a professional counsel uh, like Sam Dash, uh, you know, someone someone uh, there for the committee doing that 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 work. It's not. Uh, As I recall, it's one of the things I'll really be looking at. How how did they organize themselves? How did they treat this? Did they? How did the committee itself uh, treat this opportunity? As, as I recall, and A.G., you may remember this better than I do, didn't the Republicans for the Kavanaugh hearings bring in that woman who was an attorney? who yeah, was going to? And then, like, after after then, yeah. lunch break, they'd just given up. They were just they couldn't yeah, well, stand she, it yeah. anymore. No, although, although also, I, I'm not sure that was it. Also, they, they wanted her just to go after uh, Dr. Blasey Ford. And then when he came in, they wanted it to, to, to go all Wild West. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not. I'm not sure she was ever going to stay for the second for the second part of that. Well, she was sitting there anyway. Ag, what about this? They're saying um, no grandstanding, right? Uh, that's sort of the report coming back from them that they're going to have discipline and they're going to ask some of those questions in a pretty lean and spare way. Do you believe that? No, um, <laughs> I don't. Um, I'm I'm with the other panelists here on this because I really wish they would have brought in one or two experts uh, to to ask these questions. Uh, like they did in, in the Kavanaugh, in the Kavanaugh hearings, but um, it's. I think it's just. I think it's sad that. They, I mean, that was one of the whole reasons they had to push the, push the hearing back another week anyway, is because more of the freshman committee members were coming in saying, "I want my five minutes," and uh, Mueller, in order to get more time, re- required it to be the week later. And we have to remember, Mueller's not a, a friendly, voluntary, you know. I, I love this idea guy coming into this testimony. He had to be subpoenaed. Uh, I wouldn't call him a hostile witness, but it's certainly not a friendly subpoena in this scenario. He doesn't want to be there, and he doesn't want to politicize any of this. That's, I think, his number one goal going into this, at least from talking to people who are close to him, um, you know, like Andrew McCabe. He's, he's, I think he once described testifying to Congress as trying to survive a, a nuclear fallout, just uh, what was it? Uh, limit your exposure and get out alive. And so, <laughs> I, I really honestly think that this five-minute round-robin thing, especially like you were talking about in the Kavanaugh hearings, where it didn't even seem like they had a meeting to discuss who was going to ask what or how to respond to the Republicans, is just a bad idea, especially for something of this, you know, with this much importance and, and so much riding on it, because this could determine whether or not Nancy Pelosi decides to open an impeachment inquiry, which I, I personally think she should have done months ago. But um, I, I think it's just it's far too important to put in the hands of our, of our representatives at this point. All right. We'll get back to the impeachment thing. I do want both of you to talk about that. But yeah, I mean, I think, Bill, another question here is, yes, Mueller's a reluctant witness. I think we can say that. Uh, He's not there of his own volition. Um, And one possible way of handling him, if you're the Democrats, I like your point that the Republicans may piss him off so much that he will say things that he didn't intend to say. But the, the, the Democrats, one way that they can deal with this is to make the questions pretty friendly. Just get him to restate basically things that are in that report. But, you know, we're already seeing signs from Adam Schiff, the Intelligence Committee chairman, uh, saying, well, they may not honor that. Schiff says Mueller has made it clear he doesn't want to go beyond the report. And I want to make it clear that that is a choice Bob Mueller is making. That is not required by law. It's not required by regulation. That is a choice. Uh, And and he also indicated the Democrats could press Mueller to ask certain questions that he might not want to engage on, but said we will have to decide how much of our time we want to spend fighting with him to discuss things outside the report. How productive is that going to be if they if they fight with him about trying to get him to say something he doesn't want to say? You know, that I, I, I've read some articles saying that, in fact, and sometimes in the past when he's been pressed, he's been a little more forthcoming 
um, thinking back to what AG said earlier, I would, I would say, uh, I, I would open with a couple of hypothetical questions, actually, just to see if by any chance this guy's had an epiphany uh, and come to understand uh, that if he really believes uh, that this is a serious uh, a situation, a crisis in the in the in the in the life of this democracy, as he indicated, then he has a bigger role to play, and he's going to have to make a contribution here. Uh, I do believe that you know we feel like we've been living in a kind of you know, lava lamp and just, you know, time just, you know, is suspended uh, constantly. Uh, I think that Wednesday we're going to find out it, it, within a day of this hearing, we'll know whether there's ever going to be impeachment. And, and, and the actions that he takes and the committee takes are going to matter. Just add one other quick point, and that is that all along the Democrats have both honestly but also tactically uh, affirmed their great admiration and support for Mueller. Uh, even uh, leading up to this, Nadler, uh, uh, even Jamie Raskin, lots of people when they're on television say, we just want to give them a chance to tell the story to the American people. And the fact of the matter is uh, there are – there is one, the, the issue I spoke about earlier, uh, two, the question of whether or not he, his, his staff really understood, frankly, the campaign finance law and, the, and, and how culpable these people were. And then three, the, his failure to interview any of the principals to the likeliest conspiracy. And there are pieces of this that, that the, the, the committee members the, – the one point I do want to hear them talking is I want them to lay down the history of Donald Trump hiring to be his campaign manager, uh, and Paul Manafort, a guy whose last job was fixing an election over the internet in a foreign country in the employ of Vladimir Putin, who met many times with a Putin uh, associate and shared polling data in swing states, who attended a meeting – uh, invited by a Russian who claimed to have uh, uh, purloined information from uh, uh, from the Clinton campaign. Uh, Trump once said he could go out in Fifth Avenue and murder somebody <clears throat> his supporters would be okay. He went out in the middle <clears throat> of Fifth Avenue and stole an election with a foreign power and the entire country looked the other way. And I think that making sure that the collusion piece of this, not just following the obstruction trail that, that Mueller laid out so explicitly, but following the obvious public trail to collusion, uh, I think, is something very important. And, uh, and getting him to respond to some of those questions, uh, even if they have to get, get, put a little heat on him, uh, is what I hope they'll do. You know, um, A.G., it's easy to think of the Mueller report because of the thud with which it ultimately landed, even though, as you say, only 3% of Americans read it. But there also, I don't know, there's this kind of not very carefully thought out sense that this whole thing is kind of a dud or a nothing burger. And obviously, Trump has done everything he can to amplify that sentiment. It's easy to forget. He's returned a lot of indictments of a lot of people, uh, guilty pleas, prison sentences. I mean, A.G., this, is, this isn't a probe that came up empty, not by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> totally. And that's why uh, it, it's very confusing to me when President Trump says, or Rudy Giuliani gets on TV and says something like, uh, in, with regards to obstruction of justice, that you can't obstruct without an underlying crime. Well, we had, I think, over 200 felonies and 87 <laughs> charges and 36 indictments, and uh, we've already had a few people go to prison. So I'm, I'm, I'm quite confused by, you know, when he says there's no underlying crime to obstruct justice over, and, and there obviously is. So, yeah. he, he's uh, just I lying. Just, That's just to, just to clear that up for you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. 
Yeah, he kind of does that every yeah. once in a while, doesn't he? Yeah, he's um, lying. <laughs> okay, so let's get. Uh, I'll start. With, I'll stay with you, Ag. Let's get to the impeachment part of this. I mean, we saw the vote uh, the other day. Ninety-five votes, a lot, but not enough. Roughly forty percent of the Democratic caucus. Uh, I, 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 it's hard for me to see how this could turn a corner and become a different thing. I don't follow this as closely as you and Bill do, but but how do we get from where we are right now to any kind of actual viable move towards impeachment? Well, I think um, the American people need to understand that opening an impeachment inquiry is not the same as doling out articles of impeachment. It's just opening an investigation, and because it's a judicial proceeding, and because it basically turns the House into a grand jury, you're going to be able to get the materials and evidence, and and your subpoenas are going to have more teeth, and it's going to be uh, moved through the courts a lot faster than it is with just these basic investigations that they're doing. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, you probably know more about this, but the Watergate, I think Nixon, I think only 16% of the American public were for impeachment when they opened the impeachment hearing. Uh, And then by the end, of course, we know what happened. But um, I, I, I think that the idea of an impeachment inquiry is to get the American public investigate, and that's what gets the American public behind impeachment. And I think and maybe they're waiting until at least half of Americans think that impeachment is a good idea. But, yeah, I, I'm with you that I think if it doesn't happen after this, we'll know very shortly. Uh, I think the only other thing that could cause an impeachment hearing or might even move the Republicans in the Senate, even a notch or two on the needle, is if Trump or the Trump administration defies a Supreme Court order, um, such as the subpoenas uh, for his tax returns or his financial documents from his tax accounting firm Mazars, or if Kellyanne Conway, for some reason, uh, refuses to testify under court order and the White House refuses that. I think defying a Supreme Court order, which he closely did, almost did with that 2020 citizenship census question, could be a turning point, but if that doesn't do it, I don't think anything will. I, do, I, I think there's two uh, points here that are really important. Um, I hope that Pelosi thinks about them. One of which is that when she says that she would like to see him go to jail later on, as if you know she's certain that a president, uh, a, even a president Biden, wouldn't come in and just in a Obama kind of way say that for the sake of bipartisanship, we're going to put all this to bed and just move on let alone uh, a reelected Trump, that she's just kicking the can down the road to somebody else the way Mueller kicked it down to her. And yeah. the, 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 the United States has developed a very bad habit uh, uh, in, in, in this century in particular. Uh, we, we, we're lied into the Iraq war and we don't – and President Obama decides we're not even going to investigate. We're not going to find out whether in fact people were um, subverting and distorting intelligence to the Congress to get the authority. Uh, the British have a Chilcot inquiry, uh, if you may recall, uh, in which, by the way, uh, every person had to uh, subpoena had to come and testify. All the testimony was in public, and the report was submitted not to employees or the people under suspicion, but to the people of the United Kingdom. Compare that to any process here. After the 2008 meltdown, uh, uh, we didn't prosecute one Wall Street executive. Okay, the Europeans, who played only a secondary role, sent 47 of them to jail. They investigated the, the, the European Commission, UK. Uh, they, they cleaned house. Uh, as a result of Iraq uh, not, never being investigated, John Bolton, one of the people who lied us into it, is now trying to lie us into another war. He's right back in power. As a result of our not looking into 2008, we have people coming in here and destroying the Consumer Finance Protection Bureau and all the regulations of Dodd-Frank. This is our democracy. 
This is truly an assault on our democracy. That's not rhetoric. That's not hyperbole. They're coming for us. And, in, and once again, for the third great crisis of the 21st century, we're turning a blind eye. We've become a democracy that can't look itself in the eye. You might And so she has to understand here uh, that, that, one, we need this record and she's the last chance to get it. The second thing is that this is not a look back at some failed whitewater real estate deal. This crime is ongoing. He's in the midst of rigging the next election and inviting Putin, laughing with Putin at the law and inviting all manner of countries to come in and, and obstructing efforts to secure our system. And so we can't afford to wait. This is our last chance to secure the next election. And so I think that they should look at all the risks of inaction as seriously as they look at the risks of inaction. But above all, they should stop thinking tactically and about the, what the political outcome is to be. This is a moment in which you do your duty. Okay, let me just be the craven, I, I'm going to do this for devil's advocate purposes, but let me be the craven political calculator and say, well, gee, AG, I mean, the latest poll talk I about, saw. Talk about typecasting. Exactly, yeah. yeah. I was born, I was born <laughs> yeah. for this role. Yeah, you so, all over. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, the, I mean, the latest poll, you've all seen, everybody's seen this poll, 21% of Americans, uh, according to this one poll, support impeachment, 38% of Democrats support it. I mean, the, the most terrifying, the only thing that's more terrifying than the implications of the soliloquy that Bill just did is the notion that somehow or other you come at the king, you miss, it strengthens his hand, he wins another election. So, so AG, I think you and Bill are pretty close to on the same page about this, but, but so rebut that notion. That's what Pelosi's thinking, right? This is one she would love to win but can't afford to lose, uh, and, and she's not willing to try. Why, why is that a bad calculation? Uh, well, because she's betting our like core values of our democracy against something that she has no proof of happening at all. She's saying, I'm not going to do my duty under the Constitution uh, or hold a president, a lawless president, accountable, uh, as is my duty. I'm, I'm, I'm going to not do that because I think maybe something might happen poorly. And there's no proof of that, first of all. He's already running on impeachment. He's already saying, we failed to impeach him. If he's going to run on us failing to impeach him, let's actually fail to impeach him and at least get the hearings out there so that we can get the evidence we need. I think we have a better shot. And there's, you know, a lot of people will say, oh, back in the day, what, you know, when they impeached Clinton, they got their butts handed to him in the election. And that's not really true at all if you actually look at the individual races and what happened. Uh, and I'm pretty sure a Republican won that next election, you know, in quotes. Uh, but it's, I, she's betting the integrity of our democracy and the requirement for us to hold people accountable and that no one is above the law on on a hypothetical. And it just it drives me crazy. Um, one thing that we've kind of alluded to, but maybe we should say something about it in, in general, uh, Bill, is that um, every time they get their turn, the Republicans on both of these committees, it's weird because Mueller is going into two different kinds of hostile situations. He's got Democrats who basically think that he didn't do the job or he didn't um, make it clear enough or he, he didn't deliver what they needed. Um, and, and then he's got a bunch of Republicans who just want to tear him apart and claim that this whole thing is politically motivated, uh, that this whole thing uh, goes back to Hillary Clinton in some way. I mean, all kinds of things are going the, to be the alleged. Democrats may feel that. They don't say it right. much, but 
But but I mean, I, I think Mueller feels as though he's facing a bunch of Democrats who are un, unhappy with his performance. He probably and a, feels that way. And a bunch of Republicans who are going to tear him apart. Maybe we can just say a little bit about what could be expected from that Republican theater. Well, I, their entire uh, uh, shtick to date has been that uh, all of this was a partisan uh, um, uh, ambush, and 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 the Attorney General of the United States is currently conducting <coughs> investigations, uh, uh, absent uh, any indication that there's any truth to it whatsoever. It I I can only assume that it really uh, burns Mueller, uh, and uh, and so I. I, I expect that some of the Republicans, at least, will continue in this vein, uh, uh, trying to, you know, going after how many Democrats worked, going after how big a role the Steele dossier played, all these ancient questions that have all been debunked by anybody who, you know, who, who has, you know, more than just Fox News as a, as a source of information. Um, and so, I, you know, one of the best prospects is, is that, you know, my, my hope is that the Republicans play, overplay their hand. My fear is that the Democrats will underplay theirs. I want the Democrats to put a little more heat on him. Uh, I, I, you know, I want them. This is a, this is a president. If you if you step back just for a second, if, if you take all the impeachments, the three impeachments in our history, Donald Trump's crimes uh, uh, amount to something far greater than Nixon, Clinton, and Andrew Johnson combined. And the question is whether we're going to act now. Um, you know, AG, one thing I wanted to circle, I mean, you may have some, some things you want to say about what the Republicans may or may not do, but well, and if so, feel free. Um, but, but also, you know, there's one group of people that it seems to me Mueller might feel a little bit more answerable to than anybody else that we've alluded to, and that's his staff on this inquiry. I mean, he asked a whole bunch of people, AG, to give up two years of their life and to pursue a certain kind of thing. And the first thing that they saw happen was Attorney General. General Barr come out and completely mischaracterize the results of that effort. And they may feel even now that 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 mischaracterization holds sway more than any rebuttal has, more than the truth has. And, and, you know, I mean, those are people that Mueller can't, he kind of has to take their calls, right? He can't hang up on those people. He asked them to do this job. And if they're, if they feel as though the job didn't get done right, you know, he, he might feel as though he owed them a little something on Wednesday. Yeah. And not only that, I still can't figure out why uh, Nadler or the uh, Schiff hasn't called any of his other, any of Mueller staffers to, to, to testify either. Um, that's, I don't understand that. Um, maybe maybe uh, you can speak to that. But yeah, it, it, you're exactly right. And and then along the lines of what the Republicans are going to do, I think he, I think you're correct. I think they're just going to try to get at that Steele dossier and the FISA court, you know, or the, the FISC and the, mm-hmm. the FISA warrants and the the oranges of the investigation, as it were, to quote our president. Um, but yeah, as far as that goes, I I I just agree with your sentiment. Yeah. Um, all right. So um, um, it's maybe time to wrap up. I should tell you that our final segment today, we're actually going to talk to one of the many uh, drinking establishments that's going to open early uh, in Washington uh, on Wednesday and perhaps offer special drinks. You know, you get like a Russian interference, which is vodka and I don't know what. Um, maybe that's what it is with vodka and I don't know what. But um, so I, I guess I'll, I'll sort of ask both of you to sort of 
Give your best guess. I mean, where are we Thursday, Friday, heading into the weekend, Bill, assuming that, you know, there aren't incredible bombshells, that there isn't some way in which Mueller violates all of our expectations of him, but that he effectively restates his premises and he effectively restates his essential complaint about obstruction of justice. Um, I I don't know. Are we still basically, is is we going to end the way it began? Uh, I think there look there are two possibilities. One of which is that um, there are three possibilities. One, Mueller has has had somewhat of an epiphany and comes in in a somewhat more uh, a forthcoming and cooperative way than everyone anticipates. I'm not predicting it, um, but um, there's always you know what where there's life there's hope. Secondly, the the, the Democrats focus on uh, what was the, the weaknesses of this report. They don't just ask him to. Re, you know, rehearse all the statements he's made within the report, but they go after the questions of, uh, and I'd love to hear from the staff on this someday, where he got the idea that he can't identify the crimes, how he ended up not uh, uh, interviewing Don Jr., uh, uh, giving, giving Trump all the questions in advance and getting nothing but lies from Manafort, and then uh, how, how, how he, why he flinched on the obvious campaign finance violations at the core of the conspiracy. I'd like them to put that on the table. Uh, if they can, and if if neither of those, if 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 there's n- no epiphany, and the Democrats don't get a little bit tough in that way, I think he goes home without adding much. And I do think this is the end of the impeachment discussion. I've written two columns, long columns about why we should do it. Uh, I won't bother to write a third. All right, uh, Ag. Yeah, final prediction. What kind of podcast are you going to be doing when this is all over? <laughs> Well, we'll obviously go over what he says. I think we might see a small bump in the support for impeachment, but I don't think it's going to move the needle too much. Uh, like you were talking about, I think it's for the Republicans to lose and for the not for the Dems to win, quote-unquote. But mm-hmm. I, I do hope Mueller just can't with folks like Jim Jordan and Matt Gates and Louis Gohmert. Uh, and you're right, maybe push him into to something where he has this epiphany. I, I It's a it's a hope, though. That's a, a super optimistic hope. But I, what... What I think the whole purpose of this is, is for on Thursday and Friday for the news networks to just play clips of the highlights of Mueller speaking in defense of his report and in opposition to what the attorney general and the president have been saying and just play those on a loop over and over again and let the American public hear it. All right. We're going to have to wrap up this part of the conversation. And thanks once again to A.G. uh, from Mueller She Wrote. Check out Mueller She Wrote. It's a terrific podcast. doesn't just cover the Mueller stuff. It's just it's the whole waterfront. Everything you want to hear uh, some funny and interesting people talking about. Um, I I also want to thank, uh, because I forgot to pre-record the credits, or I forgot to write the credits for Wolfie to pre-record them, uh, senior producer Betsy Kaplan for pulling the show together today. Uh, Wolfie's on the board. Uh, Carolyn McCusker, our great intern, is on phones right now. We're going to take a break. we should end on a somewhat happier note. And if not a happier note, at least something that could dull your pain, which, you know, in the case of us Irish Americans, is usually alcohol. All right, we're back. Bill Curry is still in the studio with us. Uh, he's uh, running columns for Salon.com these days about this uh, kind of situation. And uh, now joining us, because if you're in Washington, D.C. on Wednesday, 
it's not a day like any other day. Uh, it's a day when people are going to be riveted to the television, uh, starting at 8.30 in the morning when Robert Mueller's testimony begins. We go now to Casey Callister, co-owner of Duffy's Irish Pub in Washington, D.C. Uh, so I take it, Casey Callister, that you are opening a little earlier than usual on Wednesday? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we can start serving alcohol at 8 a.m., and we'll be packed. <laughs> Thank the Lord. Uh, so, so give us a sense. What do you have planned there? What, what, what's, what kind of scene are you creating there? Uh, so it's basically like any sports watching scene. We have uh, eight large uh, flat screen TVs, surround sound, uh, what I call stadium sound that we, we play for the NFL games. Uh, we're serving some brunch items like Irish breakfast burritos. Uh, we'll have our bloody molar cocktails and probably some eye openers for everybody. <laughs> okay, so what, what's is a bloody molar just a bloody mary, or is there some special? Uh... Uh, it's going to be a, a bloody mary with a, a, a little molar flag in it. <laughs> and and so uh, you know when you do something like this, I'm assuming you're also expecting people to arrive. We should have kept AG because AG has all this Mueller paraphernalia and tank tops and ros- Mueller rosaries and stuff like that that's been sent to her over time. But I'm assuming you're expecting people to dress creatively. Uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, for you know the Comey hearing, uh, or there's a young lady that wore a Comey is my homie shirt. <laughs> Um, we had some folks wear uh, politically agenda shirts like uh, Bort Mike, Mike Pence at uh, the last uh, Cohen hearing. Uh, so we expect people to show up and, and maybe they're promoting their own political agenda or maybe they're just wearing a funny shirt, but they usually get into theme. Is it, do you, do you, uh, if, if, if this were the women's soccer final, you'd know who everybody was rooting for who came in. Uh, do you have a sense of what this crowd will be like? Do you, uh, what, what are you anticipating? Uh, you know, I think pub's always a place where you can come and uh, you can be on both sides of the issues. You can root for either team. Uh, certainly, is it an Irish pub? <laughs> it's huh. an Irish pub. Yeah. Wow, that, I'm not sure. I I'm not sure I follow your your line of reasoning here. But go ahead. Uh, we usually get a mix of people, but you uh-huh. know, it's all all in good fun. And, and so, um, do you have other specialty drinks planned besides a bloody muller? Uh, not not for this one. In the past, we've done like uh, the Kofefe cocktail. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had uh, the flipper cocktail for the Cohen hearing. Yeah. How about an orange Russian? <laughs> yeah. Just, a, just an idea. He said, it, yeah. he said it was right there, you know. Oh, did yeah. <laughs> did I steal that? Oh, no. So uh, are you expecting, I mean, based on your experience with Comey testimony or anything else that you've done, are you expecting a packed house then? Uh, yeah, usually every seat will be full, uh, standing room only. Uh, we do usually get a lot of press. Uh, I'm not sure if it's just a great excuse for them to uh, uh, drink on duty or not, but they're they're yes, always here too. Yes, <laughs> yes, that's that's the answer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, we have to go on the air. Li- yeah. We usually have some live bloggers <laughs> yeah. here as well as international television. Uh, I usually end up doing about a bunch of TV interviews. Let me just ask you this: Is it? customary for a pub or a drinking establishment to be able to open that early? I mean, we're from Connecticut, you know, so it's a much more circumscribed and, and quiet way of life. But it just, I, I, do you have like a special license or something? Uh, they have different classes of license in D.C. We have a tavern license and we have approval to open at 8 a.m. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess one of the things that one might hope for in the spirit of 
uh, of you know a place where everybody knows your name or, or or whatever is that maybe this might be the one occasion where to Bill's point where people who don't agree would be able to at least you know I mean have a couple of drinks and talk to one another and uh, and people who don't talk to one another ordinarily might be sitting side by side uh, and I guess if they follow the rules of your establishment maybe the conversation will be a little bit more temperate even while they're act- committing acts of intemperance. Yeah, the good part is is that uh, you know we have an upgraded sound system. You know, a couple uh, a couple hearings back, uh, we didn't have the new sound system, so everyone was shushing each other uh, while they were talking. You know, because they wanted to hear the testimony. Uh, now you can actually have a light conversation, and uh, and probably you're not going to bug anybody in the room because we have the, the new sound system. All right. So uh, Casey Callister is the co-owner of Duffy's Irish Pub in Washington D.C. Thank you for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me, yeah. uh, and, and uh, th- thanks for thinking of us. And everyone ro- roams through D.C. from time to time, so please stop by Duffy's Irish Pub. All right. Uh, good, luck, good luck in your uh, big day. So tomorrow, just uh, so you know, if you're listening here on Monday anyway, uh, tomorrow we are going to, we have meetings tomorrow. We're going to rerun one of my favorite shows, and it, it maybe is a good distraction also from the uh, agonies uh, of this time. It's a show about the sport of ultimate Frisbee. And what makes this a great show for me is it is one of the great passions for my writing colleague uh, and frenemy, uh, Danny Har. Danny Har is like, he just loves Ultimate Frisbee. So he's one of the key guests uh, on, on the show. We've, this is a show that we did about a year or so ago. That is so Danny. It is wow. so Danny, right. So uh, if nothing else, uh, I got to make fun of him for an entire 49 minutes, although that's often the format of the wheelhouse too. Uh, so we won't be able to do the wheelhouse on Wednesday because of the, uh, because of the Mueller testimony. Uh, and we're going to be live taping a really interesting show for you at 1 o'clock that day that you'll hear the following week. So we've got all kinds of surprises uh, coming up as the week goes along here. Please stay with us. And thanks for tuning in today. Uh, thanks for uh, spending time with us. And thanks to Bill Curry uh, for coming in here and joining AG from Muller, she wrote. We will be back. I guess you probably won't hear me live until Thursday.